we're, we're calling, uh, the phone book says Mabel K. Chesterson about her refrigerator. <laughs> okay, here we go. It's ringing. It's ringing. Hello. Uh, hello, is this is this Mabel K. Chesterson? Yes, this is she. Um, I I was I was I was wondering, is is your refrigerator running? No, no. Um, thanks for asking. I I've actually uh, thanks for returning my call. I I need a, a repair person over uh, right away. Uh, take, if you could oh, send take, someone so, around. So your refrigerator your your refrigerator isn't isn't running. It's not. No, it, I, I, I've had quite a bit of trouble with it. So, so thanks for asking. That's, if you could send someone around on yeah, Wednesday, no, that's that's very that, that that must be very frustrating. Um, yeah, no, Wednesday, Wednesday. Um, would would morning or afternoon be better for you? Actually, if the evening, uh, if you could come around oh, around can, six. Uh, I think I I, I I think if we made an exception, we could probably pencil something in. Yeah, uh, six six o'clock. That'd be good for you. Yeah, uh, six six would be would be lovely. Thank okay, you. Okay, I, 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 Mabel, just just one more minute, Mabel. If uh, your, your address, uh, we still have you at uh, just uh, uh, Sandstone Lane. Are you still at Sandstone Lane? Is that the correct address? Yeah, yeah, thirteen oh three. Thirteen oh three. We'll we'll talk, we'll be there at at six o'clock, and we'll we'll just we'll get that. Well, the, that refrigerator taking care of the you. The connection's a little poor. It it's, seems like you keep breaking up. <laughs> it's just not. That's the reception. It's, it's my cell carrier's not very good. <laughs> Thanks. Right, thanks, you Mabel. Can... We'll just we'll see you at six o'clock. Okay, great. That, my 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 chicken's thawing. So if you <laughs> if you could chicken. if you could come over <laughs> at your earliest <laughs> convenience. <laughs> We'll we'll be there on we'll be there right on the dot, Mabel. Oh, we're looking forward to seeing you. Okay, thank th- thank you. Okay, so we'll see you, Mabel, at six o'clock. And uh, yeah, it's, it's that's basically the life of a refrigerator repairman. You know, you, you have to have a good attitude about it because it's it's really rewarding work if you let it reward you. And that, that's all for this week. So uh, next week, we'll check in on how long with Mabel. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, uh, keep cool. You're listening to Refridge Talk. Crab shoot, crab shoot, crab shoot, crab shoot, crab shoot, crab shoot, well, uh, uh, you know what? I think you, I think you should start the show. I don't think I should. And no? when you say it's a privilege, I think it's a responsibility and an obligation. So, with is this a great power with <laughs> from which with comes? Maybe. Um, okay. Well, you're listening to the crapshoot. I'm uh, I'm Josh Millard. Yay! I finally made him feel guilty enough to do it for me. I'm Jesse Holden. Uh, we are trying an experimental uh, recording. Alternate recording venue. Our regular <laughs> listenership, of course, already knows. But if there happens to be anybody just joining the show for the first time, um, we typically record in Josh's basement, which is uh, acoustically pretty great. Um, it's a nice little setup. We're right next to the heater, of course. So I need to remember to turn that one off. <laughs> but um, what we're trying now is a, a, ho- a hopefully semi-permanent recording space in my new house. Um but in it kind of what I hope is a temporary arrangement because uh, I don't think it's acoustically treated real well yet, but uh, I guess we'll see. That's why this is an experiment. This is our first uh, stepping outside of phys- our physical comfort zone 
our the physical boundaries of the zone of our comfort have right. been breached. Right. And uh, we, I thought we might try uh, recording in my place for once. I guess is the. <laughs> <laughs> One second <laughs> summary really? of all that, that rambling. Was, this is the elevator is stuck and we're waiting for maintenance pitch, <laughs> is what this is. Okay, here, so here's an alternate uh, lead-in. Are you ready? Uh, this is the crapshoot. I'm Jesse Holden. And I'm Josh Millard. We're recording at Jesse's house. That's your name. You, you should just say my house. Okay. Well, let's try it. Okay, third time's the charm. Okay. You... Th- this is uh this is we have such films to show you we have such crap to show you that would be a great crossover episode oh geez yeah pick a nice poop themed film and in the crap that's that's the in the cut crap shit crossover uh Uh, yeah it's been uh it's been a month two months since we recorded you've been beavering away at trying to get the the episodes that we had on on tape already out I'm trying to, yeah. Um, this I feels like a good uh, progress towards getting some sense of organization to this project yeah, that I, I want to impose yeah. on it. Um, and I, so far, I've actually it seems like I can shoot for like an every other week release schedule as opposed to I tr- I went back through because I wanted to know actually what our release schedule had been yeah. like pr- uh, in the preceding uh, several episodes, and it's kind of like every one to two months was about one episode every one to two yeah. months. Um, and you know that's a that's a release pattern that maybe works for some people, but I, I think that, um, I mean, that amount of time, if it was me listening to the podcast, I would forget about it in between. Yeah, it, it, it feels like, you know, I mean, it, it, it feels like there is a, uh, a, 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 a certain too longness. That's the word that I was <laughs> yes. the, 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 you know, reaching deep into the, the, the book of, of elegant English vocabulary for too longness. Too longitude. Uh, yes, but uh, yeah, it, 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 too, uh, a protracted mm. delay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 that's I'm not getting enough Jesse Holden in my life. Oh yeah, on that kind of schedule. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, no, I, I, I'd be for trying to make it move a little bit faster too. You know who else says she's not getting enough Jesse Holden in her life? He see now <laughs> you're just gonna feel really bad. Josh, for the listener, Josh made a really rude your mom joke at me, like almost immediately upon arriving at the house, and and I'm I'm trying to reciprocate at a smaller scale, but um, he's got me because now we're being recorded and we weren't before, and yeah, it's in, just my word against his. In my defense, I have no memory of the specifics. I'm like, I know I told that joke, but it wasn't a planned thing. It just sort of happened. The the, the sex act described was specific. Was it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Did something go up? Something, something like that. Something went somewhere. Well, that's good. That's that's the important thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, not trying. I've still got it. That's, that's how you get the job yeah. done. But another thing that's going on is uh, before we even started recording, <laughs> Josh insisted that we queue up his current uh, creative project, which uh, we're both slightly entranced by. I think it's fair to say. Is this this is going to be a thing that our listeners can find at this URL? Yes, by yes. This no, it, it, it'll it'll be here. It'll be at the same URL indefinitely. It may, it'll hopefully look fancier and may, <laughs> maybe have a different name, but right now it's just called Genetic Football. And it's uh, at joshmillard.com slash football. And it's a, it's a tiny little <laughs> JavaScript game where... You didn't think that directory was going to be useful for any other thing in the future. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I could safely just... Surprised that hadn't yeah, been already created. As much as, I, as much as I otherwise uh, talk about football. Well, it's funny. So this is a, this is a little thing that... Uh, it generates a couple of teams of colored circles, a red team and a blue team. And they 
each each little player has a random radius and a, a, a running pattern where they run at a certain speed and they turn at a certain speed. So and this was all taking place on kind of an simplified overhead view of a football, of a football field. field. Yeah. yeah. Like like Atari level simplified, you know, right. real, real simple. And and so they're just they're just trying to make progress in a running game, running the ball forward, taking turns, and there's touchdowns and safeties and tackles, and you can run out of bounds. And and if you could simplify football as much as possible, this is pretty much it. So it's a, it's it's kind of a four on four circles moving in a. It's not random, but uh, less purposeful than perhaps real football players may. Yes. Uh, yes movement patterns. So. And yet one of them at any given moment has the ball and can be tackled by being overpowered by other, you know, circles it bumps into or can go out of bounds or can move, progress to the end zone or retreat, retreat to safety. Retreat to safety. Yeah, there's there's a, if, they're, if they're feeling a little bit of too longness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know who was feeling a little bit of too longness? <laughs> you nailed it. Yay. You landed it. I did nail it. The, oh. oh. The, um, and it's, it's, it's entrancing to watch because it's procedurally generated. I, that's probably not the right, technically yeah, the right it. term, but it's um, because there's a sense of machine intelligence going into it that you sort of are watching and trying to figure out if your brain works like mine. And it's just four on four little circles moving around. And the different sizes, I guess, would represent different, like... Say, uh, like, bigger guys, smaller yeah. guys, yeah. Um, right now, there's no correlation between their size and anything else, but in the long run, you'll probably correlate... A bigger guy's probably going to be a little bit slower. I was going to um, say, they all seem to move the same speed, but that would yeah. be a good trade-off. A smaller one could move faster. Yeah, and, and yeah, smaller one's faster. Bigger guys are probably going to tackle better... Uh, or break tackles better. They sort of do tackle better just by virtue of they're they're more likely to intersect. Yeah, yeah. The path of a, of the ball carrier just by being a little bigger. Yeah, like um, if you can take up more space, especially when everybody on the playing field is a brainless idiot who has no sense of where they are, or what's happening. <laughs> just being big is a big advantage to that point right. because you're more likely to be somewhere where something is happening, even though you don't know what's going on. Right. Like their um, beha- the behavior is like just four blue and four red headless chickens. One of whom randomly has assigned the ball, but it follows football rules. Well, and, and the path they're running too is just a simple curve at this point. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like if there's a bunch of chickens, I like the chicken idea. Mm. This is essentially <laughs> headless chickens in their death rows. Mm-hmm. So the chicken, wants to run in a straight line but these particular chickens also have an issue where they are very frequently have one leg shorter than the other mm. and so they end up running in a circle based on the ratio of the length of their legs yeah so a bunch of headless chickens running around and one of them has a football i guess <laughs> <laughs> and also there's a referee paying attention to any of this uh yeah it's a real I and resetting them when they, one goes out of bounds yeah or exactly like just so, so, and the inspiration for this, because like as it is right now, it's just like a, a goofy little terrible football game being played by idiots. But, uh, but all these, all these things, like how fast they run, how much they curve when they run, how big they are, these are all things that uh, I want to tie into a genetic algorithm. Hence the name, genetic football. Mm. Um, and a genetic algorithm is a neat thing in programming where you take uh, the variables associated with something that does some kind of performance and then you create a bunch of versions of that thing like a football player uh, that have different values for each of those and then you run a bunch of trials where 
each of them gets a chance to try and do something, and you score how well they did. So, like yeah, in so football, you figure like, out what the metric yeah. of success. Yeah. So, like, if was. we just said like positive yardage, maybe. Yeah. Then every football player who manages to get positive yards is better off than a football player who maybe tends to run backwards and gets negative yardage. Uh, the football player who gets the most yards in a game is going to be the best then. Right. Um, and so you can rank your football players by how many yards they scored in a game. And then you can say, okay, well, these top five players uh, really did the best. So let's take those and let's use the information we have about their various genetic variables, their speed, their leg length, their turning, etc., and let's use those genes as the basis for a new generation. Because you say, hey, if they did pretty good, then things that are similar to them will probably do good. So you throw out a bunch of the old players, mm-hmm. you create a bunch of new players based significantly on the ones that performed well, and then you repeat. You iterate the entire yeah. experiment over and over exactly. again. And so the idea is you have you know survival of the fittest, mm-hmm. you know, literally, you know, selection pressure. If something does well, it will pass on its genes to the next generation. And and so you can you can take something like this where these idiotic circles know nothing about football, uh, and then you can let this sort of thing run. And if it works well, if it works correctly, what you'll end up with is a naturally evolved set of idiotic football players who do a decent job. Right. You know, it probably just looking at this, we can see that you know it works a lot better when the inclination you have is to run in a fairly straight line towards the other team's <laughs> end zone. You know, so right. if you do Something that, that seems obvious, yeah. but isn't from first principles necessarily yeah. obvious. Yeah. Um, so so if you pick a bunch of random football players and one of them tends to run towards the end zone and the rest run not so much towards the end zone, right. the one that streaks for the end zone is probably going to score the most yards. He's probably going to then be a major contributor to the next uh, round of genetic stock. And right. so that property of being tending to run toward the end zone will get passed on. And so a thousand generations later, you'll probably have significantly better football players, but they still, the thing is they still don't know a fucking thing about football. They're still just dumb headless chickens trying to run in a straight line. Uh, You've just bred the, the genetic stock there such that you're likely to produce chickens that happen to do a good job of this task that they have no comprehension of. And the distinction there is that there's no real decision-making happening within the the, right. the um, intelligence of the the recipient of the gene, the, you know, the player. Right. Exactly. But there is uh, in, inherited behavior that is just tends t- towards success exactly. more than an earlier generation maybe. Yeah. Are there popularly known examples of this kind of like genetic iteration thing in software? You know, I I don't know what the the best examples would be. The the, the thing that got me inspired, like I I've, I've known of genetic algorithms um, for a long time because because uh, I got a computer science degree in college, mm-hmm. and that's you know it's 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 a it's a long established field. Like the idea of genetic algorithms is decades old at least, but. Uh, but I can't think of offhand a really great classical example. A more contemporary people who spend time on the internet example uh, that that some people may have seen at least is a game called uh, Boxcar 2D or Genetic Cars. Hmm. Uh, so there's been a few different names because a few different people do the same idea. But it it takes the idea of generating a bunch of random mutant cars with between one and eight wheels <laughs> on various shaped bodies. And all they do is they floor it along a 2D, increasingly craggy sort of excite bike track. Mm-hmm. And the fitness function is how far do you get? 
And yeah, so something, yeah. So so well, and, or until you just stop moving, until oh, you end okay. up upside down on your back huh. and can't make forward progress. Or okay, something. that's a, that would be different. Um, which is why when it gets craggier and craggier, it gets more and more challenging to make forward progress. Right. And so that that does a great job of it because it says, okay, let's pick a random weird polygon shape, attach some random wheels, and then see how you do, and do that for twenty cars. And the car, the like three or four cars that go the farthest. Uh, they get to pass on their genes to some mutant children that are similarly shaped. <laughs> and those children, if they're lucky, they'll manage to go farther mm-hmm. and keep passing it on. Or maybe it turns out that the parent car was just the right shape to be okay and a slightly modified child you know, catches on a crag earlier mm-hmm. on and, or, 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 or goes too fast, like it's so much faster than its parent that it makes a bad jump right at the beginning and sails right into a wall that the parent could lumber slowly over. Mm. Which is one of my favorite things with uh, this sort of thing is when you see uh, what looks like imperfect behavior uh, that ends up turning out to work really well. Like with a with a car thing, if you move slow and can sort of drag yourself over a rough spot that any fast-moving car is going to just fly off and just crater into a wall mm-hmm. right afterwards, that's great. you know. Or in the football game here, you, know, you might have a, a, a player who moves really slow and you would think that is shitty. Like objectively, you do not want to be a quarterback who runs the ball all the time and mm-hmm. is super duper slow. But maybe all these other idiots circle out of the way by the time he gets to the you know twenty mm. yard line, and mm-hmm. so there's no one blocking him. So what seems like it might be uh, a less than ideal trait, something that does not say this is a world record athlete, might be the thing that survives special conditions uh right or he he happens to follow a path that's behind his teammates pushing the yeah exactly out of the way yeah if you move yeah. slow and your teammates happen to be bruisers who clear a path for you moving right. slow is the right thing because if you barrel Instead past of, like a right, rocket getting ahead of them would be yeah yeah if you just storm right in the other team and get tackled immediately then yeah so just from having watched this this entire time i think that two things would would increase the complexity like a hundredfold and one is having the so they're, 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 each each player is tracing a basic, basically circular yes. path of yeah, a circle exactly. that's larger than the field. So basically yeah. an arcing path. If at, at kind of random times the um, it could like invert, meaning like they're arcing to the right, they could just arbitrarily suddenly arc to the left yeah. based on whatever. Yeah, no, I like the idea that they, they may so develop kind of a capacity to zigzags yeah. through. Yeah, they could have a, a, a tendency to juke. Yeah. Uh, and the other is to pass. I think it'd be really interesting to yes, have it pass yes. and basically draw a straight line to a random teammate. And if it intersects an opponent, that's an interception. Um, yeah. No, I think passing would be great. I have no idea how well it'll work because I mean, yeah. you can tell how idiotic they are. <laughs> so the idea that right. they're going to then they're just lateraling pass. back into safeties yeah. all the time. Yeah, sure. Well, and that's but the, but that, that could be something that iterates. Yeah, and that's yeah. the interesting thing is like if you add in a passing mechanism. I mean, sort of the worst case scenario is I put a bunch of effort into programming and passing, mm-hmm. and then they start they have a gene that makes them more or less inclined to pass. And then what it turns out is that nobody who passes ever makes any fucking yards (laughs) off it. Uh, and then they'll just select against passing and I'll have implemented that code mm-hmm. that then the football players will refuse to activate because they're like, uh, no, everybody who tried to pass died and wasn't able to pass on their football genes. The metaphor, the genetic metaphor gets really weird when you start dealing with these sort of specific tasks. Because if right. you do like a genetic algorithm to model, uh, say, hunter-prey populations, okay, sure, yeah, the, the hunters and the prey respectively that do well at getting themselves fed and not getting killed – they breed and pass it on to the next generation of rabbits and wolves. Right. Uh, when it's football players, it's a little bit weird to say, oh, hey, you know, 
that 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 Deion Sanders really had a great year. Let's clone him <laughs> and have his clones play next season. Right. And uh, one of them will have an extra toe on each foot. <laughs> One of, one of them, them will, will be, be 1% slower, but yeah. his eyes will be bigger. Yeah, exactly, you know? Yeah. Um, are there practical applications for the kind of um, the, the genetic... There, there are. I mean, one of, the, one, of the, one of the neat things that genetic algorithms can do is produce counterintuitive results, or at mm. least non-intuitive results. Because you can say, hey, here's, here's a problem I need to solve. And, you know, one common human approach is to say, okay, well, based on my understanding of the problem, I'm going to describe a solution to it. I'm going to say, well, let's try taking this step and then that step. Or let's, let's do a mix of like 60% of this strategy and 40% of that strategy. And, uh, and as humans, we get a lot of success out of this because we've got pretty good brains and a lot of problems react well to careful, attentive human thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we're not really great at is coming up with really stupid ideas uh, just to find out if they work. I mean, mm-hmm. not never. Certainly, there's been plenty of <laughs> cases where humans have successfully turned I have a dumb idea into a success story. Sure. But, you know, there's there's weird random things you wouldn't try because they're a little bit complicated and there's nothing obviously intuitively appealing about them. Mm. You know, it's like you, you might not think to do uh, if you're doing like a, a hurdle, maybe you're thinking I, I need to go fast and I need to jump high mm-hmm. to get over these hurdles. Um, and so you're going to sort of focus on those and maybe, and this is not a real example from sports medicine or anything. I'm, <laughs> I'm just inventing something. For, maybe it turns out that the best way to clear a hurdle and get your momentum on the other side is not to go as fast as you can while still jumping over the hurdles, but to sort of like straighten your leg and sort of almost sort of like do a pole vault mm. over it and sort of like, you know, sort of do a sideways stumble over the hurdle, but right. maybe for some reason that conserves a little bit of energy, it clears the hurdle, and it sets you up to get good acceleration on the other side. You know, and that's the sort of thing where maybe some guy's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to try this really weird fucking thing that's probably going to hurt me because I mm. bet that'll help. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have that <laughs> idea, but a lot of people aren't necessarily going to. They're going to keep refining right. the technique that works. Whereas if you build a, uh, a robot uh, in a simulation that just tries a bunch of weird gates. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to iterate through a bunch of shit that no one would ever try, most of which is probably going to not be as effective, some of which, even if it is effective, is going to be prone to cause injury to an actual human being. Right. But then this weird thing will show up with a pole vault, right. with, a, with a straight leg pole vault over the hurdle, and it'll be reproducible. And you're like, oh, hey, you know, when we do set up this condition, it works. And maybe that turns into someone trying it and discovering, oh, hell, this thing really does work. And that's actually a thing with sports medicine, as I understand it. Like some of these weird models, whether it's genetic algorithms or other sort of simulation-based stuff, they can produce unexpected weird little nuances that can give someone an edge when they try this one weird trick, if you will. (laughs) Is 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 that the best example of where it may have been used in, in practical application? I, I I wish I had better examples of where sure. it was. I, I think it's probably it's probably used a lot in, um, and this is this is again probably sure. probably I would say genetic algorithms get a lot of use in uh, sort of optimization stuff. So I would not be surprised if like any sort of large scale logistics mm. uh, uses some of this, where they can actually take a problem where there's a bunch of variables and it's just like computationally impossible to actually say 
you know, what's the best way to do this? But you throw a genetic algorithm at it, and it can iterate through a bunch of weird ideas. Right. It can Um, get closer and closer to a successful, a successful answer. Yeah. It's been used successfully in AI research. It's been Hmm. used, uh, at least to some extent, in uh, literally sort of game solving stuff. Like if you want to, if you want to come up with a novel approach to a game like chess, maybe chess mm-hmm. is probably not the best example since there's been so much other sorts of work, but oh, that, if you take a complicated game, yeah. yeah, you take a complicated game where there's a lot of variables, humans develop strategies that they can understand. They, they develop strategies based on existing strategies. They iterate against those, mm-hmm. but we can end up wandering down a fairly narrow path where we don't try bizarre things right. that are going to fail a lot because we don't have time to fail a million times to find the one weird trick that does succeed. Sure. Whereas a computer, you can let it run like that. Yeah. So that, right. The, the disadvantage of, of a genetic approach like this of a computer trying to solve a problem is that it, it, it doesn't inherit any of the base of knowledge right. or like assumptions that that come with people and systems that are already incredibly comparatively successful to start right. with right out of the gate. But that's also the advantage of it is that it carries zero to the assumptions and, and may find itself down a, a path that's so ca- insanely counterintuitive that uh, that it's unlikely we would have stumbled on it without a system just randomly trying things and comparing one thing to the other and figuring out what you know it works within the metrics you give it exactly um, and, and when uh, when the thing doing the experimentation can be a simulation running a million times as fast as a human mm. trying in real life mm-hmm. all of a sudden you know there's some value there there's 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 some real gain to be had from saying okay let's spend essentially nothing to explore a whole bunch of ideas. Right. Um, and most of them are going to be terrible, but, you know, maybe we'll come up with something handy. Right. <laughs> it's, I, I remember in the ye old days, the only, the only example I came across uh, in the wild of this is, um, it, I think that it, it got bundled as a screensaver, or maybe it was just a program you could download and run, but it was um, like your car's example, but it was um, basically creatures trying to locomote yeah. With a random number of body segments and a random number of legs yeah. moving in a random way or pattern. And so you you would just let it run and run and run. And, you know, at first it would just be like weird misshapen blobs, like shaking like a Don Hertzfeld cartoon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and sometimes flumping over and making, you know, half a foot of progress. Um, but then, you know, you let it run for, you know, half a week and come back and you get these things that are like like centipedes or like you know insects or like spoked wheels or like you know it it could evolve in any number of interesting directions and once it kind of found a successful path you would see it would tend to follow that path so one person running that program may um end up with like a wheel-shaped topsy-turvy creature and another a uh, person running the program, you know, may in the same amount of time find something that's basically like a millipede with a zillion legs in every direction yeah. that tend to push it no matter what it's orientation. Yeah, and that's that's one of the most interesting things that I think can come out of this sort of genetic process is when there's multiple viable uh, end states. When, mm-hmm. when it's not just uh, one specific thing that's going to succeed, but multiple distinctly different things. And genetic destiny goes in one direction or another mostly by chance and mm. i think that's because yeah that's exactly the thing if if that's if that screensaver always ended up with a four-legged uh cat right um it'd still be interesting but it'd be not as interesting as when you could have the four-legged cat up against the centipede up against the weird two-legged you know horrific 
uh, bicycle <laughs> out of a scene from Naked Lunch or something. Right. You know, right. The, 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 those divergent paths, I think, are the greatest thing. And I, that's what I'm hoping happens with the football thing is I really hope that it can turn out that like distinctly different kinds of teams end up being able to perform well. Mm, and especially right. if they perform differently against other kinds of teams. Like it'd right. be great. I'd love to have it set it up so it runs through, you know, a, a ladder tournament <laughs> where, you know, you end up with eight teams that each get a chance to evolve and then you find out, you know, maybe the QB who's a fucking rocket against a couple teams just craters against a different team that happens to have this big fucking linebacker that mm. stops him every time. Sure. Um, and maybe the weird team that seems like it's kind of doomed because its quarterback just wants to run in circles happens to have teammates that also run in complementary circles that end up pushing it past certain other teams. You know, mm-hmm. whether that sort of thing will come out of this, I don't know. I think, I think, d- ironically, designing an interesting set of divergent genetic destinies is a hard problem in its own right. You know, it's a lot easier to design a kind of boring genetic algorithm situation hmm. than, than one that actually yields really interesting, varied results like that. So. So if you um, love computers and hate football, go to joshmillard.com slash football. <laughs> yes. I think that's a good stopping point. Yeah, let's take a little break. Yeah, let's take a little break. We've started up a new football game after after the break there because the the one we've been watching while talking about it, uh, the the blue team was just fucking awful. Like the <laughs> score was literally something like a hundred and seventy to zero. Right. I the already red... have pennants all over my wall of my bedroom for a red team. <laughs> I'm wearing my red team jersey and stuff. Oh man, we, we, I was I, talking a bunch of shit on YouTube videos of the blue team. I could I could generate like big flags coming off my car. I'm driving down the freeway. Sorry, procedural logos. Yeah, you know and shit like that. <laughs> oh, that would be really fun. Yeah. Actually, those could even be genetically oh. derived somehow. Oh my god, yeah, oh, right. They just they could have no input into the success or failure of the team. Yeah, but just be but like, they happen to like yeah they're, they're they indexed the off team. of the genetic content of the team. Right. So teams that just randomly draw better. You know, or players uh, also their flags get propagated too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm well, sure. That, I'm sure there's an actual genetic equivalent to that, where it's things that actually don't play whatsoever into. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I, I think favored just because they yeah. happened to. Yeah, I think that's one of the big uh, sort of uh, scientific sort of just so stories that unfortunately sort of comes with teaching. Uh, kids basically about genetics Mm -hmm. is and this is i mean this goes obviously every fucking thing in the world gets simplified and gets put forward as a little bit of a conceptual just old story you know and then you get a little bit older and you take a more advanced class on it it's like okay well the things they told you back then were uh 
you know, it's, it wasn't really quite like that. It's really more like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then four years later, you take, you know, the high school version. Like, well, the things I said, it wasn't really like that. And, you know, honestly, depending on the field, it's never going to end. I honestly, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I've always just, even from a young age, just assumed everything was turtles all the way down. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just, there's never a level of understanding that's the final level of understanding of something. Yeah. Um, like by the time you understand quantum mechanics right. at all, you've relearned some of the fundamentals of physics several times. Right. And then you're just probably learning the easy, friendly version of quantum mechanics. <laughs> and then you talk to a serious quantum mechanics person. They're like, Oh yeah, well it's, but it's not really that simple, you know? So it's like, it's a weird thing, but right. uh, a quantum mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. A quantum lube yes, job. If exactly. you know what I mean? Oh, your mom's a, mm. Uh, hi, 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 Jesse's um, mom. Hey, so- <laughs> uh, but what I was going to say, what I was going to say is that uh, one of the with genetics, one of the I think unfortunate things that gets propagated a little bit too much as a fact is the idea that everything that exists in something's genetic code exists because it's necessary for survival, and right. so you see so much pop sort of pop science in in pop science reporting in sort of teaching in certainly just random sort of just so folks conversation about stuff Mm -hmm. how like oh well a cat you know can retract its claws because of x and that may not be the best example because there's probably actually some (laughs) utility to a cat being able to retract claws but then you say oh well this cat this tabby cat with these stripes the stripes you know it has the stripes because that helps it, you know, blend in, you know, in earlier pre-domesticated days. And so you wouldn't be able to see it so easily. And also this calico because, and also this flat black cat and also this gray cat and all this is white cat. And every single one of those, it it can be treated like, you know, if you put them all together as a lump, it does start to look like, oh wait, but all of these cats did fine. It's kind of weird that the survival situation was such that each of them specifically succeeded only because it had this pattern different from all these other ones that also only you know and in practice maybe maybe the color of some cats really did affect their survivability but in a lot of cases maybe the genetic code that uh was responsible for them being a little bit faster is also something that happens to influence the pattern of their fur right you know maybe zebras are striped not because stripes are an evolutionary advantage for zebra maybe it's because the non-striped you know zebra ancestors were 10% slower and they got eaten by the fucking tigers. Right. And you know, it it's like nothing the, to do yeah. with that specific. Right. And it's, it, you know, when you're trying to teach someone about this stuff, you get into this, um, kind of game with, you know, a young child or something like, well, why does a turtle have a shell? Well, cause it's, you can re- retract into it and stay safe or, you know, just like these super, super basic examples of like, well, why is X, Y, and um, you get seduced by that whole mentality of, well, everything is the way it is for an exact purpose. Yeah. Um, and forget that sometimes things are crazy. I mean, all the, every single thing we've described just comes from a mutation. I mean, a mutation is the fu- foundation of like a genetic algorithm. And mutations are, aren't uh, purposeful. Yeah. They, um, you know, can lead down a path, but it's not because the, the mutation arose from an intention to get better. You yeah. Know? One of the, and you'll see this with little kids a lot is one of the confusions they have immediately about um, how evolution works in practice is, 
you know, ask a kid, like, well, how did an animal without wings evolve into an animal with wings? And they'll say, like, well, they, you know, the, they tried to fly so hard that they flapped their arms really hard and they flattened out. And yeah. then they flattened, the flattened one goes to the next one and stuff. And that there's this kind of, like, direction to it. And, obviously, that things you do after you're born somehow yeah. get recycled back in your DNA, <laughs> and, and, which they don't. Which was, which was, you know, had a certain amount of currency, you know go back far enough into the history of sort of natural philosophy, like probably several hundred years back, you could still find a lot of proponents sure, for sure. that idea. Um, it's, you kind of put the cart before the horse when you do that though. Yeah. And it's, and it's giraffes like, have then, long necks cause they kept stretching for right, the taller right. trees. And so their necks would get longer. Which, right. Yeah. Exactly. But, but I think that that's, that's, that sort of it still is the bedrock of some people's understanding. Of well, and it's a stuff. very intuitive idea is yeah. the thing. Like, you know, right. It's easy to sit here having, like, read a fair amount about genetics and be like, oh, well, you know, obviously that's fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's not so easy to say, well, if I began from first principles and d- tried to develop a theory of how things change shape over time... You know, there's there's nothing to say that that is wrong right. until you know that that's not how DNA works. You know, right, right. So yeah, it it, it is a weird thing, and and uh, and yeah, yeah. Um, here's here's what I want, and and you are now uniquely suited <laughs> to do this. Um, I want there to be a uh, a, a Markov based meta filter user that nobody knows isn't a real person that generationally iterates based on how many favorites it's comments oh, Jesus. get that's that's a good idea and i think well, after the, a thousand be, years you would have it would the need, greatest meta filter commenter who who just ran ran the site in terms of how many comments they got here's here's the thing you would need to have uh, a whole crop in the mm. traditional genetic algorithms approach. You'd need to have, say, 20, mm-hmm. you know, metafilter users who are secretly just Markov bots. Right. And uh, and then you would assess their favorites performance over, say, the period of a month, maybe. Right. And say, okay, well, this month, these five commenters really had the best average favorite per comment ratios. You really like that running them in parallel idea, which I hadn't really considered. And that's kind of what the football players are doing too, because it's not like one football player against a bunch of stationary things, but it's several football players each running their own variation, and you're seeing which among them is the most successful. Yeah. Um, But with your car example, and with my like iterative walking bug creature example, they were individual and you were just kind of like testing not one against its contemporaries, but one against its uh, ancestors, basically. Sure. But for the metafiltery thing, you would do them concurrently. I th- well, I, I, one of the nice things about doing it concurrently is you get a lot more... Uh, you can control for traffic yeah, on the site. You, yeah, you, 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 like, like if, if, if it's just a favorite happy month, uh, then a, a single Markov bot running in isolation mm-hmm. would benefit from that. Uh, right. And it would inflate its numbers. Whereas if you have 20 running at the same time, if it's a favorite happy month, they'll all benefit equally. So you won't have a bias based off that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a slow month, you know, same thing. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's an advantage to running concurrently to get away from some of the environmental biases that can come in. But it's also just faster. Mm-hmm. Like it would take 20 times as long to test 20 robots right. in sequence than it would to test them all at the same time. But you're 20 times as likely for someone to catch on. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> if it was literally just a Markov text generation bot, I think someone would catch on very quickly. Right. Uh, not, not, not that people don't love Markov bots, but they love them because they're weird. They right. love them because they don't talk right. right. They've got a weird, odd 
robotic cadence that it's like when it's good it's it reads like someone weird and confusing uh but that's like the best case scenario and the not so great case scenario is it reads like an obviously broken text generation right so so you'd have to find some way to make the comments a lot more convincing than just literally barfing up markov text Mm -hmm. you could do something like generating like regenerating sentences or regenerating transfigured comments from previously on the site Mm -hmm. you know um, if people would fall for it. I, I In practice, I love this idea, but it's also <laughs> hopeless because people on Metafilter are too much of close readers. Now, I think maybe maybe on Reddit. Reddit's so, such a bigger place right. uh, that you don't have that sense of, like, who the fuck is this guy? Because, mm-hmm. like, who the fuck is anybody? I mean, there's, you know, 100 million people there or whatever. Um, right, and it may just be, like, kind of a stylistic quirk from another subculture of reddit that's yeah. just come being you know out of context seems like gibberish but yeah. w- makes sense to wh- whoever you know also that guy's friends on reddit are reddit at least generally speaking i'm sure this varies on based on the subreddit but i would say generally speaking reddit is a little bit more tolerant of uh weird bullshit <laughs> with 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 accounts like yeah. like like we have jokey sock puppets on metafilter there's jokey sock puppets on reddit but on reddit it's uh, more of a thing like in metafilter it's really sort of like a uh use you use a sense of scale and and a susan of uh you know <laughs> uh, discretion about right. it so so you make the jokey sock puppet for this one thing mm-hmm. and if it's a great joke all right you nailed it maybe bring it back if it comes up again a week later uh if you make a jokey pop jock, sock puppet and do the same mediocre joke six times at that point people are probably gonna be like cut it the fuck out like it's gonna stand out People have long enough and wide enough perspectives on the site that they're that's enough to piss them off. Whereas on Reddit, you probably get away with, especially if you move around from subreddit, subreddit, you can probably get away with a lot more. And to some extent, people on Reddit are probably more likely to be like, oh, that's a dumb but goofy idea sure. versus metaphor saying, hey, please stop fucking with the site. You know, right. just a, it's sort of a difference in expectations of uh, fucking with the site, I think, on the respective communities. I think so too, and I think that one one way that that difference, or one thing that difference comes from, is that um, Reddit, like every, you know, like the other ninety nine percent of the internet, is um, doesn't have any interest in uh, corralling its growth or limiting its yeah, that's, taking that's, steps to limit that its growth. That has certainly not been a it's design issue. It's antithetical to ninety nine percent of the internet to limit yeah. your growth. Um, Whereas Metafilter has historically been pretty into limiting. In fact, yeah. you know, uh, for a lot, a lot, shortly after I discovered Metafilter and before I had signed up for an account, it there was no such thing as new signups <laughs> for Metafilter. And I don't want it for a long, long time. And when it came back, it was, uh, uh, I don't know if it's right to say artificially limited, but it's, you know, it was constrained by the signup fee. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, as I'm sure we've covered on the show, and it's not necessary to cover to the listenership, um, but having a sign-up fee creates a barrier of entry that's fruitful for many, many, many reasons, and, and useful, and adds to the discourse on the site for many reasons. But it also, um, just from a pure like ground level thing, it you know, it, you just get less users out of it. Yeah. And as a result of that, you get a more shared culture of the site maybe yeah absolutely. Is, it, is it possible to, to bridge that no i think i think i think definitely a big part of why metafilter has a fairly solid um community ethos for a site its size is because 
there's that slow, steady introduction of new people. Um, you, you, we never have the concern that there's going to be such an influx over the period of, say, a month or three months that the existing site culture will be overwhelmed by right. new people who aren't familiar with it. You know, and that doesn't mean new people who have poor intentions. Uh, it just means people who are new. And, you know, it's judging by... Right, and carry a different cultural expectation. Yeah, every, everybody's got their own expectations based on their past experiences. You know, this goes for the internet. This goes for, you know, meet space communities. If you've done a sort of thing before, you're going to carry with you assumptions that the way that sort of thing works is the way you're familiar with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, in in just friend groups, maybe you, your longtime best friends were all uh, filthy uh, mouth. Like, you know, you, you curse like sailors, mm. you tell dirty off-color jokes. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you know, this is your circle of friends. This has been a big formative part of your social experience. And, and while you may have an awareness, I mean, you certainly have some awareness of like the need for code switching and whatnot. If you go to work, you're like, oh, I'm not going to tell a joke about fucking a pirate. Right. Um, you know, right. But you, as soon as you kind of like get, get even, even in that example, as soon as you kind of get like socially, like you befriend someone at work, you might slip immediately, more immediately yeah, into it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll once, 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 once you start without to, realizing that you're in a different context yeah. because they're not from your core you know exactly friend group yeah or or you make some new friends and you you try the same stuff out there and it doesn't get the same reception because like they have a different set of it something you know so things like that you know and the, the same thing happens with yeah internet communities is you have if you're from somewhere where nothing ever ever gets deleted and you go somewhere and you get a comment deleted mm. um that may strike you as a big fucking deal Right. You know, and it may strike you as a big fucking deal in the sense that like, oh, shit, I did something wrong. I don't do things that are wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. I better apologize. Or it might strike you as a big fucking deal in the way of like you fucking censoring <laughs> Nazis. How the fuck can you do that? Free speech America, you know, right. uh, or a number of other reactions. But sure. but the point is you're having a reaction based on yeah your previous experiences um, to a new community where you don't necessarily have a strong grasp of their existing ethos. So how much of your reaction is fairly generalizing an experience and how much of it is just not being familiar enough. Right. You know, and, and that's, that's, I think, uh, well, plus if so many people suddenly joined the site that they were, they outnumbered the existing culture of the site, then, uh, you could deal with it by, um, taking the private helicopter you just bought and to the island that you just bought. Right, right. <laughs> Money yes. generated yes. by all those tens of thousands of new signups. I, I, you know, it's an interesting <laughs> question. What is the... Because I, I, my instinctive feeling is that there are two extremes. There's... Uh, if we're going to imagine the notional situation where enough people sign up that it makes... That turns into fuck you money. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is... Few enough people signing up that you don't need the fuck you money because things are stable. And then there's another line in the sand where there's enough people signing up that that's definitely fuck you money where you can at that point say, okay, I'm just taking the money and running. Mm -hmm. And then in between those two points, I feel like there's a point where you're getting enough new users to be a problem, but not enough money to buy the private island. And right, I think that, I think that that's, in the middle area, the yeah. hassle increases quicker than the exactly. financial benefit. You know, it's increases. like if if we suddenly had ten times as many signups on MetaFilter, because um, normally we have about I would say on average like eight paid signups a day. So that's like five bucks each. That's forty mm -hmm. bucks a day. Mm -hmm. um, so that's oh twelve hundred. Let's say twelve hundred bucks a month that we get off that, which is a 
a small portion of our total site revenues. Right. Uh, it's not enough to... Yeah, yeah. it's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, right. an extra grand a month helpful. It means, you know, we can afford to keep benefits up, you know, et cetera. Um, but still, it's it's a small portion of the payroll. Right. So if we suddenly had 10 times as many people sh- signing up, that'd be like 12,000, an extra 10 grand a month, mm-hmm. which is definitely not nothing, right. like at all. I mean, that's that that would easily be enough to like hire another full-time moderator and and also some other niceties, you know, even when you account that, you know, obviously some of that's just going to go into taxes and whatnot. Sure. Um, that, that would be a lump. But 10 times as many people signing up would be so hugely disruptive over the course of a year right. that, like, being able to hire one more moderator to cover that would not be a good deal. So, yeah, right. that's, like, that's, not- that's a definite, like, that's a point where it's, Duck, like, yeah. it's not... It's not the crazy money that's that's <laughs> like, hey, crazy, fuck you. Right. It's just enough to be notable, but not to be worth it. Some things don't scale linearly, like server costs and stuff, right? I mean, they would go up with 10 times as many users, but they wouldn't go up 10 times. Yeah, yeah. But some things do scale more linearly, yeah. and one of them is moderation time, I yeah. suspect. Well, and you know, it, it's, it, it's interesting. I think part of the thing is uh, whether or not it's even linearly moderation is uh on metafilter it's, it's kind of a funny situation we uh we pay a fair amount uh of money to keep a few full-time moderators around a few full-time and some part-time um and we do that because like having moderators be around at all times is really important to keep the site running <laughs> right. now the thing is that doesn't mean right. that at all it's times the same reason that there's not like a time of day when no cops exactly running. like you know e- even even if you have a small town uh, where there's there's very you know relatively little crime, a small population. Right. Uh, even if you just have three cops, <laughs> so that there's someone around twenty four seven, you know, they may not even do much most shifts. They may just literally sit around watching TV and waiting for the phone to ring and filling out a little paperwork and you know miscellaneous tasks and time killing. But you still want that cop to be there when you when you actually have something going on that you need a cop for, well, uh, or well, firefighters, right. or, well, and because or, or if the you know the population of the city knew that there were two hours a day where there were no cops, then you oh sure, have a new type well that, of that that can be an issue too. But 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 even beyond that, the point is you want to have coverage for stuff that's essentially an on call situation. You want to right. have coverage every hour of the day, right? Um, so with moderation, I have, you know... Uh, I mean, I'm, I think it's a good analogy. I mean, there's situations where I think that people have started shitty, fighty MetaTalk threads uh, at moments that they knew the moderators weren't around. Yeah. And I think that... Well, that know, used to be an issue on MetaFilter in the middle of the night, you know, we... Like, right, or the like moderation holidays staff, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah the moderation staff... People uh, look for those blind spots and, and seek to exploit them because it's the internet. Yeah, it used to be we'd get up in the morning, you know, back, back in like 2007 when I came on... Um, and before that, before I was working there, it was just Matt and Jess, you know, even more so, you know, you'd get up in the morning and, and sort of be like, oh, fuck, what happened overnight? Because everybody's been asleep for like <laughs> right. six, seven, eight hours. Because, right. you know, you got to sleep and no one wants to volunteer for the, the fucking graveyard shift for an internet moderating gig. Um, so you want to go out and live your life. Right. Uh, so nothing against graveyard shifts, just like if you're not already inclined towards that time frame. Right. right. Uh, that's a big sacrifice to ask. Um, and yeah, it would just be get up in the morning and, and hope that there wasn't too much shit and people overnight knew that everybody was asleep. And so they sort of felt a certain license to be fuckers overnight. Like even if they knew they were going to get in trouble for it, they knew they'd get like four or five glorious hours where no one cleaned up after their shit, you know? And 
and having people working at night has been huge for MetaFilter in that sense. We've had, you know, people working overnight, you know, from Europe where it's not a weird time for them. Uh, and that's, it's, it, I have really kind of forgotten the visceral feeling of getting up every morning and being like, Oh, what's fucking wrong now? You know, right. what went badly last night? Instead I get up and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? You know, was it quiet overnight? Great. And it usually is. It usually is quiet overnight. Partly because I think people know that there's someone around, but partly just because someone was there to respond quickly when something did go weird. And right. that's, that's the whole point. So a lot of monitoring shifts can be pretty quiet. You know, some days are very busy. Some days are so, so some are actually, you know, weekend shifts tend to be very quiet. You know, people are mostly doing stuff and they're not at work. And so they're not killing time at work. Right. I think it's a big, big thing there. Right. Uh, but it's still important to be around. Cause like, even if only two things go weird, on a Saturday, both of those things, if you can respond to them pretty quickly, don't turn into giant fucking messes. They just get taken care of. And you spend your Saturday, you know, goofing around on the internet, playing video games or something, and keeping half an eye on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what to bring this all back around, this is all about the, the scaling thing. Moderation uh, doesn't scale, partly because, you know, the cushy side of the job is that there can be those slow days where you really are free to sort of fuck around between things that actually need attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also the downtime that partly makes up for the busy days where it can be, you know, a full shift of pretty stressful interaction with a large crowd of people. You know, when, when something is a big discussion in meta talk that people are angry about, that's like, you know, you can be responding to like, there can be a comment every minute for eight hours straight mm-hmm. and you need to read all of them. You need to digest all of them. You need to respond with useful site policy and personal thoughts on it. You need to do that basically in real right. time. Assess and, context for each one. Yeah, yeah. And, and assess what you know to some extent about people who have different, you know, push button issues, you know, and do all this trying to be very diplomatic and modeling good behavior and not flipping the fuck out. Even when, you know, one in 50 people, decides to be a real asshole about it. You know, people can be real shitty on the shite site every once in a while, you know, and you have to not, not don't call it the shite. That's on the shite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but you know, every once in a while someone is a real asshole and part of the job is not responding to that. I mean, I type up comments that I then just delete and I feel a little bit better about it. And then I write the thing that's civil, but uh, you know, it's, it, it's part of the thing. And the thing is those days, impose a certain amount of you know mental and emotional burden that the quiet days sort of even out sure. um so on the one hand you could say well if half your shifts are pretty cushy then you could probably have twice as much work and still be fine and i i think that's literally true like if i had a busy shift every day but it was just like manageably busy that'd be doable but there wouldn't be that downtime there wouldn't be that sense of space mm-hmm. um it would make it harder to enjoy spending time on the site uh if you scaled that up to the limit, I think I think you hit a reservoir of emotional energy before you like literally max out how much a person can possibly work. You know, even before you hit like, you know, absolute burnout, you start to hit, you know, sort of iterative burnout over time. Hmm. And that's the stuff that would scale up very badly when you brought in a bunch more people, even if everything else was pretty manageable, sure. even if, you know. Okay, so I have a I have a, a, a new idea. Okay. Uh or, or rather a um uh, a genetic child of the last idea, uh, a uh, a genetically determined uh, moderator <laughs> who <laughs> deletes comments and bans users 
based on whatever seed you give them and uh, whose success or failure is measured by how many Metatalk threads are spawned with her with that uh, moderator's name uh, above the fold. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you have some unavoidable collateral damage in site culture for a little while as uh, basically uh, moderation comes in and just starts randomly deleting and upsetting absolutely everybody on the site. But over generations and generations, you start to fine-tune the perfect moderator. Right, right. And uh, once you have achieved that, you unleash an army of them and uh, fl- take your helicopter to your island. See, that, that that's a fuck-you-money plan right there. That- <laughs> <laughs> that I'm starting to like. I, I I don't like I don't like the way uh, passive moderation on Reddit works. For example, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that like upvoting and downvoting drives the visibility and display of content. There, I understand why they do it. Sure, I don't think it's like a like morally bankrupt idea or anything. Sure, it serves certain um, purposes extremely well. Yeah, but yeah. but personally, I don't like it. I wouldn't. You know, we would never do it on Metafilter because it just doesn't. It doesn't fit with the ethos of the site. Right. Um, but oddly enough, I would like it better if Reddit's passive moderation were actually literally activist robotic moderation. Like, <laughs> like, 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 like not a swear filter that means if you type this word, it gets deleted. Not something that says, like, if it gets so many downvotes, it gets deleted. But something that looks for specific rhetorical or structural aspects of people's comments and decides, you know what, that, I don't like that. You know something more complicated, and that I think I think that could be done. You could really train it mm-hmm. on a bunch of deletion decisions, and you could do the same thing if we wanted to do this. If I wanted to try building, <laughs> if I'm, we're going to do this, well, okay, here's which the thing: is on the table. I mean, I'm it, glad to hear. Certainly, cer- certainly, I'm not going to actually <laughs> unleash a robotic moderator on Metafilter, but. If I wanted certainly to test the idea, to admit it on this podcast. if I wanted to test the idea of a robotic moderator, here's what I would do: I would take a sample of about 10% of the deleted comments and undeleted comments over the history of the site. And I would look at the data for what's been deleted and what hasn't been, analyze the textual content of those, analyze things like how many flags each of the deleted and undeleted comments got, how many favorites they got, the usernames of the people posting them. And I would take those various things and I would feed those into the brain of my robo-moderator. Mm-hmm. And then I would assign these various uh, values to, uh, you know, weight these various different things, make these the genetic, mm-hmm. you know, the, the genotype of a given RoboMod, mm-hmm. and then unleash it on a bunch of the remaining existing historical data and see how well it agrees with the moderation decisions we had made historically. Right, basically turn it loose on a copy of the site. Yeah, see exactly. How, it, how well its decisions yeah. align with decisions. Yeah, that let, let, it, yeah let it train on a small portion of what we've done before and right. then let it test that against the rest of what we've done before and see how it performs. And that if, seems less fun to me. Yeah, well, but then, <laughs> then the thing is, once we train it up, then we can start showing that as a, a, a Grease Monkey plugin, the users can see what does RoboMod think about this yeah. thing you're about to type. Yeah, or you could have it uh, bake it into the site in such a way that when you submit a comment, uh, a, a comment that RoboMod would delete before it goes live, the user gets one last chance to right. back it out. A clippy sort to of situation. Walk it, backward. Like, it looks like you're about to make a huge historical <laughs> mistake. <laughs> right. Would you like to close the tab and walk away? Right. Contact moderator for advice. <laughs> Fuck it! Damn the torpedoes! Full speed ahead! Yeah, that that would be kind of amazing, honestly. Mm-hmm. I maybe maybe if I decide to get serious about uh, genetic algorithm stuff once I've got the footballs out of my 
system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be, I mean, it'd be an ambitious project, but it would be really interesting to see if it was possible to even sort of get any sort of correlation to actual human moderator decisions yeah. uh, based on the data. I'm skeptical of how doable it would do outside of certain edge cases. Mm-hmm. I think you could put together a strong short list of words that are more commonly present in the average deleted comment than in the average non-deleted comment. Of course. Um, which would mostly just be fairly strong, like nuclear-grade you know, curse words. Right, but it, there's, there's so much textual analysis and nuance in that that could be brought to bear in something like that. I don't yeah. know. I, I love it. I, I, th- I, I fantasize about a, um, a comment box on Metafilter that has a little uh, thermometer next to it that like goes up and down as you type yeah. to <laughs> <That'd be kind laughs> see how well, close to the line you yeah, may be And that's walking. the sort of thing you could sort of produce, you know, and it wouldn't even need, like, it could just be seriously a toy. I mean, obviously it would not be something we would distribute with the intention of people taking it as a reliable guidance as to or, or guarantee no, as think, to the survivability of a comment. I think, but, it, uh, I think it should uh, ban people and electrocute their keyboard <laughs> if, if, if we can develop the technology. Well, and I, I really like ideas like this, and I'm, I'm sort I of... I mean, it's, you're, you're designing a killer robot, but you're not giving it any laser guns. you got to give it laser guns and missiles I, and stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of like the, 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 the post-Asimov <laughs> robot stories that take into account some of the ground already thoroughly covered by... Those early laws of robotic stuff. You know, let's get postmodernistic <laughs> about this shit. You're not gonna. You see, you see you're actively working against the um, robot nightmare dystopia that I want. Sorry. <laughs> Can I just say uh, the tables have turned here in football? The second team, blue, is stomping red just as badly as it was the other direction. It uh, does. It does seem pretty. The first um, time out. Unbalanced. Although naturally, the longer you run it. Well, yeah. And this is yeah. It doesn't tend to like ebb and flow. It tends to be the winner. Exactly. You know, become more and more victorious. Yeah, and and what we would do with this in the long run is actually, you know, run it for, you know, five or ten minutes and then use that data to seed the next generation instead of letting this poor Sure, and if you're not live animating it for the benefit of the site visitor, you could run it, you know, at yeah, one yeah, million yeah, times yeah, certainly. the speed. Yeah. If that if you were <laughs> seeking to create genetically superior football players. Yes, yes. No, certainly I could run a, a faster version without some of the Entertaining um, watching overhead, but I was kind of slowly bringing the conversation around to just to say congratulations in your new role at Metafilter. Thank I don't, you. I don't know that that's been made explicit on this podcast. Um, oh, I guess yeah, we haven't recorded since it's, that happened. It's probably no surprise to anybody who may listen to the show, but um, uh, Matt Howie, uh, user number one, yes, the man who founded Metafilter in 1999, he has uh, he has taken a job uh, at uh, exciting young. Uh, communication software company Slack, but well beloved. Yes, company too. Yes, it they're, seems they're not Uber. No, no, people seem to actually ones. like Slack. They seem, <laughs> and, and well, just understand. I mean, I've I've only been using uh, the actual software for uh, oh about as long as I knew that this was probably going to happen. Actually, <laughs> but Matt, Matt, and our our coder at Metafield, her uh, Paul Bosch, they've been using Slack for a while now, just mm-hmm. for communication and issue tracking stuff while they worked on the site. Um, and so Matt had like a pretty good feeling about it. And, uh, he's known for a long time, Stuart Butterfield, one of the like, like the core guy behind mm-hmm. Slack, uh, also did Flickr and glitch and game never ending and other things. Um, so I think that may be part of how that conversation ended up starting where Matt ended up going to work for them. Um, because Matt's been actually looking for work to an extent for a, 
for a while. I mean, we had the big, we talked about this before on the podcast, I think circa when it happened, but we had a big financial downturn on Metafilter. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, geez. A couple years and change now ago. And then like last May, we got to the break even point where we just literally had to make a change because we couldn't afford payroll. Uh, the savings were gone. And so we laid off uh, a few people and, and shrank down as much as we could and then spent a long several months slowly rebuilding a little bit we were able to uh hire a couple people back on part-time thanks to really hugely generous outpouring of of uh financial support just directly from the community um but in all that time matt you know once we had the downturn he started like trying to see if he could find a way to basically have a job elsewhere so he could come off the medical payroll um and that didn't gel by last may which is how we ended up being in the well shit we got to do this stuff uh situation Mm -hmm. but then you know he he never stopped really trying to find something there and then this came together uh in the last couple months uh where he was legitimately able to figure out this deal with slack where they could hire him uh and let him work from where he lives instead of having moved down to the Bay Area is mm. a big part of it for him, mm-hmm. which I think got in the way of some other otherwise interesting offers. And, and so, yeah, no, he's working for them. And he's so he's taken himself off the medical to payroll, which led me hire on Lobster Mitten, who had previously been working more hours. And she was one of the people we laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's back full time now, basically taking over for his moderation hours. And mm-hmm. I'm taking over the business and managerial duties for the site while he goes and has a day job somewhere else. And, for the first time in 16 years, he doesn't have to worry uh, about Metafilter. And he's kind of a worrier. You know, I mean, it's it's part of why Metafilter has continued to exist and why he's done such a good job of hiring people. Because um, he cares about it. Yeah, he really cares about the site. But uh, he's a person who gets stressed out about stuff he cares about, which is, you know, a good quality, but also a quality that can really fuck with your quality of life. Uh, sure, sure, and it becomes less and less tenable as decades pass. Yeah. while you're while you're keeping that level of uh, uh, emotional engagement with yeah. something that's in some ways kind of beyond your control. Yeah, exactly. You know, when when a lot of the financial stuff, um, you know, some, a lot of it basically comes down to fate. There was a big retraction and adjustment in the Google ad market that had a hugely negative effect on us, and mm-hmm. you know, that's that's not something you can fix. That's kind of Google, right? Um, so yeah, right. so yeah, right. It's, the, it's Google is the new. It's Chinatown. It, so yeah, it's 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 a big change and also not a big change and it's a weird sort of duality for me in that sense because I mean I've got a bunch of new responsibilities. Uh, I'm learning some stuff about the site that you know I hadn't had to like pay attention to the operational details of before. Uh, all of a sudden, things that I used to be able to say, "Hey, Matt." Uh, this is above my pay grade, so you know, make a decision here. Mm-hmm. Now that's above other people's pay grade, and mm-hmm. I get to make that decision. You know, I'm working with ad people and uh, making strategy decisions, and working with PB on what our you know development priorities are, and you know, it's, it's a bunch of stuff that like none of it is super alien, but still doing it is new, and it's you know, I'm sort of getting used to that being my role, but. Right. Uh, but I got fair warning. I mean, Matt Matt gave me a little bit of heads up that this was a possibility, and I picked his brain a bunch before the whole thing even gelled about what would be involved. So I feel pretty good about the whole thing. Right, and of course, he it's not like he stops answering your emails the next day. Yeah. You know? 
And um, because you're stepping in midstream on some things, like yeah. there's ad negotiation stuff, there's site moderation stuff, yeah, absolutely, long term user. And you know, he's never had to transition this stuff to anyone before, so it's interesting for him where he's like, oh, all right, this is a thing, this is a thing. You know, it's stuff that right. it worked very well for him to just sort of be dealing with it, and now like him and me, it's like things that are second nature, he doesn't necessarily immediately remember that oh wait this is another yeah exactly so out. so it's yeah it's a very iterative like i just i have having a conversation uh with angela the other day about uh mark saltvate uh, mm-hmm. our very first guest on our, our very, very first, first episode episode uh he's he's doing a kickstarter right now mm-hmm. um and metafilter has a curated kickstarter page um and i think that's just something matt literally administers himself hmm. so it never came up because it, it's an infrequent thing but i need right. to contact him about that and figure out how we should handle that if that's something i should get credentials right. for that's or just poking about you yeah. know it's, it's 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 a little right. thing it's not you know uh time sensitive or urgent or anything but it's just one more and those like it was easy to identify the big 10 or 12 things we need to worry about but there's all these little things that i think right over the next several months we're going to keep sort of being like oh that's a thing too right yeah we got to figure that out um so yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of big difference and a lot of change there, but at the same time, most of the day to day machine of the site is like just the moderation, and that's been working as a team effort uh, for so long and for so well that it's kind of a non event there. Like you know, no one's like, okay, well, how do we moderate now? It's like, oh, we just do exactly what we've always done, and we keep right. communicating as a team, and you know, so on the site, I think the impact psychologically on people of finding out that Matt was leaving and doing something else was really big. And there was a wonderful fucking meta talk thread. It's like got up to close to a thousand comments or so of people saying, holy shit, Matt, like it's so weird that you're leaving, but I'm so happy for you. And this place that you built has made such a big difference in my life. You know, a ton of really nice comments from people who, yeah. Who, I mean, I mean, knowing that that thread had to exist at the time this announcement was made, I'm sure, you know, there are, was a non-zero amount of anxiety about how the oh, conversation God, yes. was going to go. Yeah. Yes, uh, we were collectively shitting our pants on yeah. Like not not because we expected people to be lousy, but like you just don't know. I mean, it's it's a big deal. Like Matt leaving is like a huge sea change for Metafilter, mm-hmm. you know, at least symbolically. And yeah, we didn't really know if people would be like, "Wait, what?" You know, if people were like, "You can't leave," if people going to be like, really going to put this cortex guy in charge you know it's like uh it's it's a weird complicated thing and and ultimately the reaction was all incredibly positive um which was really really gratifying and a huge relief uh i think for matt uh definitely for me Hmm. um i had been you know I, i think i talked to you about this uh uh not on a podcast in the interim but uh, one of the weirdest things about it for me is the fact that Jessamine ended up deciding to step away from the site back when we had the crisis last year because mm-hmm. she was like, you know, uh, there's other things I can do and I don't want someone else to have to go off the payroll because I'm still on the payroll. And so she, you know, made that decision, which was like hugely generous uh, and also something that I would have had a lot of difficulty doing in the same place Um but I think I also was more unambiguously super happy with the job as it existed, even with the rough stuff. Because right. uh, she's been working it longer than me by several years, too. Sure. So she had more of a chance to have some of that burnout. But, 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 but you know, she left. And then uh, less than a year later, I'm getting sort of the top job at the site. And I never would have guessed a year prior to that that if that happened, it wouldn't have been like me working with her. 
Right. Um, so it was weird for me, and I, I had been sort of nervous about talking to her, and I wanted to talk to her as soon as like the whole thing was a done deal before it was public knowledge. You know, maybe you know before Matt talked to her even. Um, and I did, and she was totally cool and supportive about it, and and uh, it made a huge difference to me. It was a, it was that was. I'd like gotten everything else done that day. And all I had to do was like, Oh, I should really talk to Jessamine. And I was just like, I was really, really nervous. Like, and it, it was, it was a huge gigantic relief when she was just sort of like, I am so happy for you. I'm really proud of you. You're going to do a great job. And like, I've, I've sort of said this on the internet, you know, but it's, it's weird thinking about it telling my parents about this is like hey so uh yeah i got a promotion oh that's great that's that's awesome congratulations and you know they mean it and i love my parents and it you know means something to me that they're like oh hey we hear that a thing happened in your life right but uh nothing nothing compared to the feeling of relief when jessamine was like hey that's awesome and i'm proud right. of you you know? Well, it's hard to uh, ex- explain to someone outside of the culture what that means, right? That, I mean, that you know, it's yeah, not you, like a, it's not like a promotion that you or my parents would have gotten in, yeah. in their thirties. Yeah, um, it's it's a very just different dynamic, and, yeah. and it's and it has different kind of um, social consequences and kind of you know, I mean, within the spectrum of Metafilter users and you know, in, as well as people you interact with and stuff, it's. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> uncharted waters in some ways. Yeah. Right? I mean, there hasn't yeah. really been a site like Metafilter before, and there, as a result, there's never been a, uh, a handoff of the baton like this before. Yeah. Um, so you're you're kind of, uh, you know, det- charting this transition yeah. for the first time uh, with no map. Yep. But yeah, I mean, if anything, I think you're down. You, you're downplaying what this basically means for you, or is that? I mean, I hope it's not in in, in for me to say, but I, this is a huge thing. You are is. at no, the no. helm of Metafilter. It, I think it, it is, and it's it's. I feel like to some extent that's still sort of settling in, and that may settle in more as more stuff where that matters comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Matt leaving to me was much bigger news for the site than me taking over. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, that sort of proved out in the degree to which me taking over has been kind of, uh, and, and really thankfully, a non-event. You know, it's like it's basically come down to we changed some text on the site. I updated my profile. Right. When I get an uh, IRL notification, it's from you. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. That's, that's been, <laughs> I think that's been the single biggest effect on people so far. Right. Uh, is for for all the years that we've had Metafilter's uh, Mephi mail uh, and had, uh, you know, email going out you would get a notification for certain things. Like when you made a post or when you posted a meetup, uh, you'd get an automatic email. And the email, instead of coming from some robot, would come from Matt Howey, even though he didn't send it. The, right. The it came name. from a robot named Matt yeah. <laughs> And if you responded, it would respond to him. Right. Um, and then, yeah, when we finally flipped the switch after Matt worked his last shift, uh, those start coming from me now. And that, like, I think that was the thing that a lot of people were like, it's so fucking weird to get this from <laughs> Cortex. Oh, my gosh. But what a testament to what a smooth transition it's been that that yeah. is, is the most striking thing. Yeah. Because I mean, how many things could have been more dramatic Yeah, than exactly. That, yeah. Uh, had they not been a real smooth handoff. Well, yeah, and we experimented with some new mobile ads, and that was, like, that was what I thought was, like, this is when people are going to fucking crucify mm-hmm. me. I've been on the job for a week, and I'm rolling out... 
right. these new ads that I'm not super in love with. But, you know, Matt had been talking to the guy before the transition and it looked like it could be a big generation. Right you know, revenue generation boost. And if that means we can hire another person or two, that'd be sure, great. Sure. You know, um, I, I don't think there's a lot of useful parallels to be made between um, the S- S- Steve Jobs, Tim Cook handoff. <laughs> probably, but, probably not. <laughs> but one, one thing that I think is interesting <laughs> is that the, the, the challenge that Tim Cook has to deal with is the next thing he announces or the next major product category they enter or the next ads that go out on TV or something are inescapably going to be viewed through this lens of okay, this is his first ad. Yeah, or, this is some. This is the post. This is the roadmap of Apple, the Tim right? Cook future. Yeah. Um, Every difference we see between and, this and, and what happened previously, it's impossible to not just have a million tech blogs read tea leaves and figure yeah. trying it. You know, even though of in in that case and probably in Metafilter's case, you know, things that are happening after the transition are things that have been set in motion long before the transition, and we in some cases without even having yeah. the transition on the horizon or in some cases having a transition on the horizon but meant to bridge it and yeah like yeah it's so, not like apple's so, a company that's going to have a turn on a dime sort of approach to right. design or marketing right of course and you know and anything that that is a product you know announcement is something that the engineering team had been working on had, had been a glimmer in their eye five years earlier right yeah. so so a lot of the stuff it's but but from a optics as to use the market or technical or whatever you know uh corporate speak term the optics of it are the first thing that happens after the transition are is is well this is a bellwether for the new way it's going so i totally i totally sympathize um with your like well (laughs) i better not do something really dumb (laughs) first because in two years i can do something kind of dumb and it won't be that big of a deal exactly if the first thing i do is a bit of a misstep it's going to be blown wildly out of proportion just because it's like well this is what it's like now you know exactly even even though that's not an actual reflection of anything real like even if it were the the misstep to do a new ad arrangement or something um it, it wouldn't actually be like the cutoff is never that like in, you know dramatic like you know Matt gave me the keys and now I'm doing everything and <laughs> fuck y'all right, right. helicopter right. <laughs> uh, yeah no it's it's it, it's hard not to overthink some of that stuff sure. as much as anything but sure. uh, but yeah no all in all it's, it's it's just been nice you know it's been it's been nicely not a huge deal things are running smoothly I'm learning more about the business stuff that we have had clicking along and yeah everything's basically just kind of okay uh which is and and we have a, a huge army of moderator robots on yes, the, yes media horizon yes there are those They're, thousands of mod bots this football thing is just like a god you know if i wanted experiments. to if i wanted to really try and come this, up with a laying a, groundwork a for product for metafilter well people have people have said jokingly and not so jokingly on occasions that like you know what we should do is really just find a way to sell moderation consulting services. Um, and I I think that would be a great thing to do if there was a good way to make it worth you know selling and worth making the effort to actually sort of try and sell that as a product. I don't know how exactly that would work. Um, I think uh, I, would, I would be thrilled if Jessamine were to sort of find a way to do that and turn it into a giant you know, mm-hmm. success for herself because she should post it on jobs. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Hire me to be a major moderation consultant. Um, but yeah, no, the, the moderation bot thing, if we could actually tune that thing to, to present a, a credible model of the meta filter, 
approach to moderation without a human involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it would work very well, but I would be, you know, I think we could make some serious money selling I it. I yeah, well, it, you know, if, and if you don't have any luck selling it, you can just start uh, genetic iterations of a marketing bot that sells there the moderation. Go. There bot, we go. There we and, go. And uh, the more the more money it makes, the the better its uh, chances its marketing genes will be passed on to the next marketing bot. Yep. Um, I think I think we should take a, a quick break here. But I think uh, this is a good stopping point. Before that, there's just a quick score recap. Uh, in the second <laughs> game, the score is currently blue. So three. hold on a second. Before you say any scores, how far into an actual football game would be at this point? This is like the end of the first quarter or so. Well, you have to consider we're not having any breaks sure. or. Time so I, I think or, I think we're yeah, probably we're probably well into the second half if it's okay. just a running clock. Okay. Um, so a, a normal score for a second half of a football game is maybe like. Uh, Fourteen to twenty-one or something. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. Some somewhere in that territory, yeah. probably. And uh, the score on this game, uh, blue three hundred ninety-six to to red has has nothing. This is <laughs> I've created a globe trotters for football simulator. Uh, the Washington. So this is uh, that last Seahawks for Super Bowl. Is it the Senators, the Nationals, the Washington? What's the name of the team that always loses the Globetrotters? I don't remember. Oh, it's something. It's something. It's something. Something boring. Right. And they just always get their asses whooped. And uh, you know, rushing yards, uh, blue team two thousand four hundred fifty-five, red team negative nine hundred seventeen. <laughs> Yep. Uh, probably a couple safeties in that score yeah. now that we consider the yardage. Well, this is our new Metafilter moderator. We're just watching it uh, yep. in its this thing, uh, this cel- thing is cellular gonna, division stage. This thing is going to change the nature of internet discourse <laughs> forever. All right. Let's hit stop here. All right. And we're back. Thanks. That's the first and we're back we've got from Josh so far. I guess the other thing I was curious about just chatting with you about, unless you unless there's something you want to hit on. Not really. Besides oh, my mom. mom. Hey, yo. Oh. It's my new thing. Is I'm going to beat you to every your mom joke. I, like, kind of what, I was kind of curious what you thought about, like, fame or notoriety or just, like, being known by name in general. Because it seems like we've gone through a strange evolution over the last 10, 15 years as the internet has kind of reared its head as the new, you know, media titan that it is. And um, so, you know, social uh, dynamics as filtered through, you know, always on computers in our pockets and so forth like that. Monster in my pocket. And it's, it's hard to... I don't know. I don't get that reference. I've got one hand in my pocket. Anyone's throwing a peace sign? Uh, pocket pool. Okay. I'm just. Please continue. I, <laughs> I didn't think monster in my pocket was gonna bounce off you so hard. I. Uh... <laughs> it was just it was some dumb toys from like the uh, I don't know mid late eighties. I want to say you know they were like little little 
Little monster toys. Not no. dolls. God help you. They were targeted boys. <laughs> so not dolls. Little monster figurines. What was the um, the green and purple uh, monster plush that you could buy that like could like break his plastic chains that were holding his oh, arms That sounds together. vaguely familiar, but I don't remember. Yeah, I remember really yeah. wanting one. Yeah. He was kind of he was vaguely uh, where the wild things are ish in yeah. his like face shape and stuff, but he was like bright purple and. I'll tell you what was stuff. dope was those battle action He Man figures. Mm. They had in their chest they had a spring loaded, mm-hmm. uh, rotating chest piece. So if you hit it once, it'd go from pristine oily He Man peck mm-hmm. to somewhat sliced up oily He Man peck. Mm-hmm. If you hit it again, it would spin some more, and then you get like a severely scarred oily He Man peck. Um, I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the battle damage thing. It was pretty impressive technology for the time. It was. I, I think that was probably my favorite He-Man <laughs> toy I ever had. And I had some of the larger, no doubt, more expensive He-Man uh, vehicles even. Mm. Turns out those weren't as cool in real life as in the cartoon. Because in real life, you were acutely aware that you were moving them along. <laughs> whereas in the cartoon, they just worked because they were awesome. Right. So, but those that chest plate thing that was fucking great, and I'm sure I wore those toys out, and eventually they just stopped catching correctly, and so you couldn't properly rewind them to the undamaged state; they mm-hmm. just wouldn't stay there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, once, the, the spring still works. Spring kind of got out of yeah. its position inside, but you could still sort of wind it up and make his chest spin. So that was funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were or, totally trying. Or just the plastics that. that it would catch on would round out. Yeah, the, yeah. The barbs inside. The... Yeah, one fucking thing or another. Yeah. If it's not one thing, it's another with these He-Man figures. <laughs> these fucking He-Man figures. As, as, as my, my, my grandpa <laughs> used to say. They were the greatest generation, too. Yep. Let's listen to their the wisdom. Um, well, and they were the only generation. My, my grandpa, I should clarify, was Adam, Prince of Eternia. A land where everyone is undying and eternal. Hmm. Which gave him a unique perspective on the whole He-Man thing. Because he was a close personal friend of He-Man. I'm quite I'm quite lost in this anecdote. You're not not, not so much a, a, a He-Man aficionado. Adam Adam Prince of Eternity, he was He-Man. That was He-Man. Oh. He became He-Man when he held his sword aloft and said the magic words by the power of Grayskull, I have the power, which I've always had a problem with as an incantation because he uses power <laughs> twice in the same fucking like like it's shorter than a tweet. All right. It says by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. Mm-hmm. It's been like if you if you got up at a wedding and by the power vested in me by the power, mm-hmm. I now declare you powerful. Like it's, no, that'd be a terrible wedding. Is basically my thesis. That would be a bad wedding. Please continue the thought you started two minutes ago before I mentioned monsters in my pocket. Gonna scrap my uh, <laughs> wedding ceremony. I've been carefully writing. This is a this is a. Uh, Side note: You and I have each performed weddings. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's quite an honor and quite a fascinating thing to be a part of. I think. I yeah. just, I just brought that up the other day at a meetup, and I, 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 I said, "Oh, Vista Point, yeah, that's where I married my sister." And <laughs> not a single person played along with the idea that that was supposed to be confusing. They're like, "Oh, you're, a, you're, you're, you're yeah. an officiant." I'm like, "Fuck you, yes, I am." God damn it! But yeah, no, yeah, we, we weeding people. Mm-hmm. Uh, weeding them out. Yeah. When was the last time you did a wedding? Oh, it's embarrassing that I can't immediately summon to mind what the last wedding. It's been a while. Was. It was. Uh, it was my friends Eric and Caitlin, and it was sometime in 2014. I just can't recall exactly when. I uh, weather was nice. That's nice. It was under. Um, it was in Cathedral Park under the St. John's Bridge. Mm, very nice. Uh, lovely spot. It's a little noisy with the traffic. It's loud, but um, 
and the uh, microphone amplification fell through at the last second, and oh, I kind of had yeah. to um, bellow well, the, the micro- ceremony. When, when I did my sister's wedding, well. the microphone amplification did not fall through, and it was still kind of, you know, I mostly ended up shouting a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a learned skill and a slowly learned one in yeah. my in my case. Yeah, I would I would I would say I that is one thing that gives me pause about it. Like I I feel at least moderately comfortable with public speaking. I haven't done enough of it to actually feel comfortable the way I feel pretty comfortable about like public musical performance mm-hmm. or urination um, or urination. Yes, absolutely. Basically, what I'm trying to say is yeah. don't urinate while conducting a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> not not what is generally expected. Yeah, uh, yeah no, no, no. The, the whole public speaking thing, like the whole projecting thing. Like I've never really done any serious acting. I'm 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 much mm. more comfortable working with my voice at sort of conversational levels than mm-hmm. than pushing it louder than that. Um, so that was kind of a weird thing to. Yeah, it, uh, a couple nights before the first wedding ceremony, I performed. Uh, my friend Nick, who had performed a couple at that point, he basically like. You, you know, he he had come in kind of like looking over the ceremony. I had helped him write a couple that he had performed before I had ever uh, performed one. He basically just like came over with a six pack of beer and is like, okay, we're going to an empty parking lot and we're going to try this out and, you know, print out what you're going to read. And he just stood across the parking lot. I mean, not, you know, not like a hundred feet away or anything, but, you know, a short ways away. And, uh, and I started reading it, and I thought I was projecting, and I thought I was speaking from my stomach and not from up here, but down here. And he's just like, can't fucking hear you. Can't fucking hear you. Speak up. Speak up. You know, and he really, like, kind of, like, goaded me into yeah. really, like, shouting it. Yeah. And then he's like, you're getting it. That's it. Like, yeah. that's the level you actually need to be at. Like, you have to basically pretend the back row is the only people in attendance and talk at, to them, to the to the level you would be speaking at that distance. Yeah. And it was really, really helpful to me. It was yeah, and I, I will never know if I was sufficiently audible at the uh, the wedding I did for my sister. Um, because, of course, no one's going to be like, oh, hey, that was a lovely ceremony. I wish you could have... Right. I wish you'd done a better job. Yeah, it's like everybody was just like, <laughs> realize, yeah, I got a lot of handshakes, and hey, that was sure. a great job, and uh, beautiful, sure. blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, great. You know, sure. and, and I was like, okay, that, that is over with. And I, I, I liked it well enough as far as that goes, but I also haven't gone out of my way to officiate more. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone in St. John's actually just the other day was like saying, hey, anybody want to do a ceremony tonight? And I was just like, hey, do you want to do a ceremony tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get your suit pressed. And I was like, eh, I don't really feel like, <laughs> I don't feel like making that specific effort at the moment. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, you want everything to be perfect, but... People are there for the couple more than for you, and yeah. and, uh, and and things kind of carry themselves. People are going to remember a good scene, is what they're going to remember. Like mm-hmm. that—that's the thing. Like I was, I was self-conscious about my performance. I was self-conscious about my volume level. I was self-conscious about how much time I was spending looking at my iPad mm. versus looking mm-hmm. out in the crowd. You know, I'm thinking about all these things, and I—I'm guessing my sister and her husband remember very little. Mm-hmm. You know, because they weren't sitting there thinking, we really need to think about Josh's rhetorical performance right. here. They're thinking, holy shit, we're getting married. Right. This it's is really fucking happening. happening. So they're thinking about each other. Right. The crowd's thinking about them. They're listening to what I'm saying, but they're listening to what I'm saying as sort of like the thing that's happening while they're thinking about the couple and their own lives. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so I, I think very few people were there basically saying, you know what? This is a primo opportunity to, uh, you know, analyze a rhetorical performance of a ritual ceremony. Right, right. You know, I, sh- I should really, I should really try and analyze the text <laughs> and the performative 
you know, impact of this. So, yeah, so it's like, yeah, if you don't show up and literally pop a squat, it's probably not going to be a problem. Yeah, it's it, it, this that's, may that's be my advice to future wedding officiants. Don't Just literally take don't it off. literally <laughs> shit during that wedding ceremony unless that's a very specific request in which case make sure you know you're not going to yeah. run into legal I mean, issues you obviously haven't gotten into satanic weddings yet yeah it's, it's, a, it's a pretty they seem part. like they'd be more fun. i feel pretty like i would important. be willing to go more uh like long form improv with those and like <laughs> I, I like maybe i could bring a three by five card for some bullet points if i need to like tie it back around but otherwise i would be feeling you know feeling more willing to uh just sort of run with it sure um, I bet I could do a two-hour wedding ceremony. Yeah, uh, if you just gave me a microphone and you were there. Well, the, <laughs> the funny thing is, what I was going to say is, um, the safest thing you can do with a modern wedding is make it really, really short. Because when you say that, like people won't remember or analyze, overanalyze what you yeah, said, yeah, they, they, they will a, remember if it's but a they will fucking internal disaster. Were, yeah, checking their watch over and over again. Yeah, even if it's wonderful, it's it, it can get tedious very quickly. Yeah. and um. And something I've been pretty good at, but not perfect at, is is really, really curtailing the length uh, because the format I use is like a storytelling, like how they got together, some of the foibles, some of the embarrassments, and kind of like getting you know the audience up to speed with what the fuck is actually happening here, how these fucking people even got here in the first place, but also um, making them laugh and like having fun because it really yeah. should be a fun, joyous celebration, celebratory thing. See that is that, um, that, that, that and that's a good it's, it's setup. Very, it's very easy for me to start with something, you know, because I'm I'm basing the the format on like a long, usually one to two hour interview with the couple where I try and talk about well, who reached out to who first, how did the first date go, when yeah. did you know that you were in love. How, what did you think she thought at that point? I mean, it's a long thing, and I try and like cast a wide net to gather as much good kind of meat for the story as I can. And then I'm trying to take a two-hour thing and boil it down to ten-ish minutes for the story, five, you know, five to ten minutes, which can be hard and, and yeah. can run long because there's too many parts of it that I love and refuse to cut um, because I just they're so delightful little slices of life or embarrassments or just perfect little adorable things or earnest moments. Yeah. I feel like you can get some mileage on that front if you if you need to cut, mm-hmm. go with the I'm not going to tell you about X, Y, and Z thing, and mm-hmm. you get like three solid. It's even better as the leaving it to the imagination bullet points sure. of just the juicy bits. Like that's, sort of that's probably good just advice. Or mostly like, strangle some of your yeah. darlings, mostly murder a few of your babies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but la- leave them gasping on life support. Right. Or um, if you want to hear the story about what happened this night, ask Eric after the ceremony or something like that. Yeah, like you can wink at things. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think that right. I, everybody's like, you ask someone about the worst wedding they ever went to, the first thing they'll say is how long it was yep. for sure. Um, and it won't be like basically one the of the guy Catholic was muttering ones. or one of the Catholic did, ones. His they went diction to. wasn't great, or like he some word choices I didn't agree with in terms yeah. of his you know scholarliness of his. He had to start sentence uh, his, construction his, or whatever. His seventeenth sentence, he had to start it again because he misspoke for the first right. couple words. Right, or he said "and" four times in the yeah. same sentence. Like this is the shit that no one will ever yeah. ever give a shit about. Um, it's you know if if it's boring or too long or not fun or they can't literally can't hear you at all that'll be upsetting uh, beyond that um it's like adam savage said in one of my favorite uh, ask meta filter answers where someone was asking for advice on performing a ceremony a non-denominational ceremony fuck you and fuck your stupid face you'll yeah. never work on this network again right um 
No, wait, I'm actually thinking of a slightly different one. <laughs> uh, where Adam Savage came in and he said that he gave a bunch, a ton of really good advice on performing a wedding ceremony, which apparently he's been called upon to do. But one thing, one specific thing he said that always stuck out to me is this is the easiest audience you'll ever work with, which is totally yeah. true because everybody is there is so happy and loves to be there and, yeah. you know, is into it. Like you, you, you are starting with a serious handicap in your favor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and you, if what you want to be is the greatest wedding officiant ever, that's, you know, a challenge to work with. But if you want, just want to, officiate a wedding such that people have a, have a positive time. experience yeah. yeah it's not it's not so bad just yeah. show up and, and do an okay job and don't spectacularly fuck anything up <laughs> like don't 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 poop on stage right uh, I, I just can't emphasize enough how much you should not poop on stage right <laughs> while officiating a wedding I feel strongly that this is an important uh, technique to keep in mind right um, I have given a non-best man drunken anecdotal speech at a wedding longer than probably some of your perfectly reasonably paced. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. A friend of mine years and years ago, uh, I played piano at his wedding and, uh, and, 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 you know, dear friend of mine, uh, we became very good friends in high school um, and have, have been friends ever since. And uh, he had me come play piano at his wedding and it was really nice. It was a nice, nice little baby grand in this ballroom, and that was all great. And I was there, and uh, then there was reception, and I was relieved to be done with the stressful, if nice, thing, and had a lot to drink because there was a lot to drink, and they kept refilling wine glasses, and <laughs> and then they were doing the part where like the people give speeches, the you know the 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 bridesmaid, the the best woman. What what's the the maid of honor, the maid of honor, and the and the best man both give their speeches. Now I should be clear: I've been to relatively few weddings at this point in my life, and at none of them did I pay any attention because I didn't care because I was a kid. So I hadn't really picked up on the whole thing where the best man gives a speech that's longer than the rest of the random speeches <laughs> that guys there might give. And so but. when the best man gives like a ten-minute speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm sort of sitting there enjoying my wine, thinking like, oh, I really love this guy. He's he's a really good friend of mine. And here I am at his wedding, and I played it, and it was nice, and, and I'm so happy for them. And, oh, does anyone else have it? Okay. And I was the guy who drunkenly rambled for like, you know, 10 fucking minutes and basically killed the, does anybody else have anything to say vibe by just going on so long everybody was tired of it and i had had enough to drink that i really didn't totally like people sort of laughed when i went into and here's a third story i remember right and i was thinking oh yeah they're into stories whereas right. they were laughing like oh I'm my really, fucking I'm guy really this guy's got over. a third one yeah <laughs> and uh i sort I'm, of like i'm killing it yeah here. i sort of put it together afterwards but at the time i was just like running with it and oh man so yes brevity <laughs> Especially if you're an efficient, but not only if you're an efficient. Right. Uh, Probably in all aspects of life. Yes. I mean, Brevity is generally a good idea. It's rare that, you know, an interaction ends and the other person's like, I wish that person had talked for longer. I mean, not, not if you're a long distance runner or if you're doing one of those things where you have to keep your hand on the car longer than everybody else. Mm, hands uh, on a hard body. Brevity, not so good. Yeah. 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 You want to you wanna go for longevity there. The Josh's mom story. <laughs> Hey, don't joke about that. That's not cool. Jesus. We've got a pretty good game going on here, I want to say. Yeah. Um, it's it's 36-16. Blue is, is with their larger players and their quarterback who runs in relatively straight lines. 
definitely definitely the strong favorites to win if these games ever ended. Yeah, to 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 reiterate the we have a team that's we, we have randomly generated uh, a team of four that's very big and a team of four that's very small and that's the only kind of physical difference between the two. You, we had talked earlier about um, yes, they, small they, guys being faster or some yeah. other kind of offset thing. But interestingly, the small is kind of nice because the small guys tend to roll off the bigger guys. Yeah. Instead of like two big guys bumping into each other tend to kind of, it takes so long for one to roll around the other that they tend to, it tends to end in a tackle. Yeah. Whereas the, the small, small guy guys, just yeah. kind of rolling around really quickly tends to avoid the tackle, which is something I wouldn't have expected. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's a kind of nice example. emergence thing that I, I, I enjoy seeing coming out of weird yeah. systemic experiments like this. Of, uh, of Yeah, emergence in the system. I do think that there's a rule in football that's being overlooked here called forward progress. Probably. Yeah. Like, I, I think I think the, the... I'm sure, in fact, I'm, I'm sure there are nuances that I have no idea about. Because <laughs> this is what I was going to go with. Football's actually incredibly uh, complicated, and the years, the, the rules change from year to year. Yeah. Yeah, and and I've so I've been discussing this project has worked on the last day or so uh, with people from the Mephite Club mm. uh, IRC channel mm-hmm. and sort of posting like you know every couple hours. Oh, okay, I added some stuff. Take a look now and getting mm-hmm. feedback from people. And as I'm implementing some of the rules of football, I'm realizing I don't know the fucking rules to football. <laughs> I mean, I know the, I know the basics. Right. I know more rules than are currently present in the actual thing. Uh, but there are lots of little things like at one point I was using the term sack to refer to tackles on either side of the line of scrimmage. Oh, oh no. Oh no. A sack is only behind the line of scrimmage. That's correct. Uh, so if it was a gain of yardage on a running play, I'd call it a tackle instead. Right. Maybe there's another word that's more specific there, but you know, certainly it's not a sack. Oh boy. Um, oh boy. Oh boy. And yeah, a bunch of other little things like I was trying to figure out, I... The, the rule set currently says if you are in possession of the ball and you're in your, in your own end zone and you run out of bounds while in the end zone, I'm calling that a safety, which I think is correct. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure. It, 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 it struck me that I haven't watched enough football mm-hmm. uh, to have ever had to figure out the situation there. And like I probably, even if I'd watched a fair amount of football, I never would have seen someone score a safety by running out of bounds out of the back of their own end zone because why the right. fuck would you do that? Um, it, you'd probably it, get I tackled it, in the process of avoiding doing that is what would happen. Well, potentially. I mean, it's it, it's not that it has never happened, but you're you're right that it's like, hey, that's I should consider whether this is a different situation than being yeah. bound in the yeah. end zone. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, there's but, a lot of little details that I don't know about. American the forward football. progress thing I'm totally unsure about because there's definitely situations where you yeah, I think lose I, I, yardage. I, I bet right? there's a thing there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's why uh, you know getting a long hike shotgun is more risky because... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you just cut out all the parts where I sound dumb. <laughs> That's funny. Um, See, the nice thing is you can do that, and then I can just not care. Perfect. Okay. And then I'll never know. It's, an, it's, it's a default. You, you, you could meticulously <laughs> edit this podcast into a five-minute conversation where you use individual phonetic chunks of what I've said to mm-hmm. make me say, I popped a squat at my sister's wedding, <laughs> and that would be my entire comment. And you'd be like, yeah, you have nothing else to say? I can't believe you just saved me that much work. <laughs> It was so that's, awesome. that's an episode title right there. Timely. I popped a squat at my sister's wedding. <laughs> Josh Millard. Um, <laughs> I think we should come back to the fame question. Oh, right, um, right, right. But not tonight. I think that we're, I think we are, we have an episode. I yeah, think I, 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 I think we're in pretty can. solid episode territory. We should put it in the can. We should put it in the can. By, by popping a squat. Yeah. 
Put it in the can. Yeah. Put it, pooping put it in the... is what I'm saying. I'm trying to say pooping. No, no, like no. Like the can no. is like a toilet. No, no, no. Or, no, no. you know, potentially an actual can. You could like... Uh, it's easier with like a, a big old coffee can no, than no. a small like can no. of olives. But no, no, I mean, no, take no. the olives out first. <laughs> no, see. Don't no. waste the olives. Olives no, are, to... you know. Oh, uh, no. Um, well, this has been this experimental episode of The Craft Shoot. Uh, sadly, similar to all other episodes of The Craft Shoot. But it no, might be sonically can. different. You know, It may be acoustically or sonically different. Um, Was that the end of the episode? <laughs> we can only hope. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, come back. We'll have another episode up in two weeks. Maybe, sure. Maybe I can make that pledge. I know it could happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, if we're going to start tr- shooting for every other week release, we should probably try and record every week because there's going to be plenty of weeks where we have to skip. Yeah. Get some. Um, uh, I'm going to be out of town. Yeah. We're going to have shit going on. Uh, I might spend two and a half months in Alabama. Is that summer. true? Really? That's yeah. That that's that's okay, what. If next that's episode, the case, we're going to have to rig up a remote little, little Skype, bit of Skype session. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we'll talk about. I was I was aiming more for a dramatic sting there than uh, ensuing logistical discussion. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, dun dun dun. Oh, okay. Well, we we can put that in in post. Okay. Yeah. Get on that. We'll, we'll see if that happens. I I encourage you to do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, cheers. Since we can end this episode how we typically start it, which is by saying the beer we're drinking. Yes, uh, we are drinking uh, aluminum can, bottle-shaped aluminum cans of the Silver Bullet. Coors Light. This is These cans will magically change color when they're the right temperature that the Coors Light... Uh, oh, do they? Do the mountains like turn white instead of blue or something like that? They're white instead of blue. Um, yeah. They're blue when it's as cold as the Rockies. Oh, oh so these yeah. are these are unfortunately warm mm-hmm. Coors Lights at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite beer is unfortunately warm Coors Light. Yep. Um, La Barra de Plata. I like the idea of drinking a different beer every time, and this is one I hadn't drank before. Yeah. And the I like novelty the idea of, of the bottle cans. I like the idea of drinking a different beer every time, and this is one that we've already drunk. Oh, shit. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean this episode. So I was, oh. I was trying to diss Coors Light, not, not catch you out on failing to be unique. Oh, okay. You have uniquely chosen a beer that I will be okay with us not drinking again next time. Okay. Well, it's my new favorite beer, so it's it's fine. You know, it's it's that. American Macro Brew, whatever. It's you know where you, you know where you get these uh, bottle shaped cans, all that like the can with the screw top, basically, uh, is football games because can they can't have, they yeah. can't have glass in yeah. the stadiums. It's too dangerous. Yeah, I could buy that because you just throw it at the players. Yep. Yeah. Because come on, fucking number seven, <laughs> what are you doing in your own end zone? You're just running in circles, you dumb shit heel. Well, maybe in 2,000 generations, his child will uh, know how to make a good end run. Maybe. Okay, let's cap it. All right. That's the end of the episode. Night, Jesse. Here it is. Good night. Thank you for coming over. Thank you for endeavoring to uh, partake of this experiment with me. Your mom thanked me for coming over. I don't get it. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-huh.